Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. Um, Christian, welcome. PJ Riley, Lancaster Archery, welcome. Beautiful spring day here, and you know uh, we have a pretty interesting episode, and it ties into uh, how all three of us sort of got started um, bow hunting. Um, none of the three of us ever started bow hunting until we were adults. Um, you know, most people they start learning how to archery hunt and hunt from a, a father or an uncle or a mother and whatever. And we didn't start till till we were all over the age of eighteen. And uh, recently, I sat down with um, Elizabeth Clegg of the National Deer Association, and she is the field to fork coordinator for the NDA. Um, basically, that's a program that started back in Georgia a few years ago. And um, it is really focused on mentored programs to introduce adults to hunting. And she is the only actually full-time coordinator for the program. Uh, and she's based here in Pennsylvania. So she's the only state coordinator they have. But they've done dozens of programs in like uh, 17 different states. But here in Pennsylvania, they do programs in the southwestern part of the state, in the Erie area, and then they work with the the Game Commission and the John Hines National Wildlife Refuge down by Philadelphia and some other locations, and they do crossbow hunts. And it's basically a, a wonderful turnkey program where they take people who may never have a chance to to bow hunt uh, coming from urban areas or families where uh, nobody hunts and they give them all the the tools the keys that they can get started um and so they've been doing this program at john hines since about uh 2019 i think last year they had about 50 people that took part in in that hunt down there at john hines as well as uh benjamin rush state park but it's really fascinating because they give them an incredible overview or orientation they get them out on the range to use crossbows, and then they have them actually hunt. So um, the, the key takeaway, I, I you know, I found so fascinating is a lot of these people never even thought about hunting or saw hunting, quite honestly, in a negative light because they just only knew what they saw in the media and heard in social media and things like that. And a lot of them not only now want to continue hunting, they actually want to pay it forward and become mentors themselves. So it's an incredible program. Uh, hopefully everybody can enjoy it, but it really talks about coming from non-traditional hunting backgrounds and getting started in the sport. And we all have uh, similar stories, believe it or not. Well, we're all longtime hunters. We all started in different ways. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Mark. And I don't know if you, if you talked about this in your interview, which is to follow, but if you did, I don't want you to repeat it now, but you were telling me that 70-year-old lady. Was that part of that interview? It, it was. All right. So so he, Mark's got some great stories in that interview. And we've got some interesting stories, too. And really the premise, PJ, why did I want to get you guys involved in this episode? Because I'm like, well, first of all, obviously, Lancaster Archery uh, has the gear. And... And you've got the knowledge and you've got the passion, right? That's your tagline. And we want to remind folks that, of course, if you need anything, you want to go to LancasterArchery.com for all your bow hunting needs. But beyond that, um, you have some pretty interesting stories about your own start in this sport. And, you know, it's not easy to become a bow hunter without a mentor, is it, BJ? Nope, it is not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we were just saying, I rem, I was out of college. I knew, I always knew I wanted to do it. I, and I had actually uncles who did, but they weren't uncles who lived near me. And so my brother-in-law, he wasn't my brother-in-law yet, was kind of into it, but largely I was on my own. And, and actually it, it starts with, you know, I got my first compound bow. I knew I didn't want to go right out hunting. I'll never forget. I went to my first 3D shoot with a dozen arrows and I lost absolutely every single one of them on that 3D shoot. I didn't even get all the way through the course. I had no arrows and they were like cheap aluminum. So they all bent. And, you know, when I missed, they didn't survive. So, so that was my start. But then going hunting, I just walked out to this state park, French Creek State Park. I didn't know what I was doing, went out into the woods. I'm walking around with my bow. I remember getting this cool 
camo net for my face that I thought I needed. This stretchy spandex thing. Yeah, man. (laughs) They'll never see you coming. Uh, And I just, I'm standing behind a tree and I'm like, what am I doing? This can't work. There's no way this is going to work. So of course it didn't. Uh, And it was just, you know, that was difficult. Eventually my now brother-in-law, I eventually started tagging along from with him. And actually I joined a club, uh, frontier archery club and talked to some folks there and just kind of picked my way along. But, but yeah, no, I, I didn't have the, you know, typical, Hey, all right, here we go. We're going to go. This is what you do. I, I just didn't have that. And, and yeah, like you said, that's a, that's a tall ask to just, figure it out yourself. And of course there was no YouTube. I couldn't even look it up on YouTube back then. This is 1989, I believe. And so this was your first hunting period though. Like you didn't, you didn't go rifle hunting before this or had you? I don't think I had, I I think my, I think I went, you know, bow, our bow hunting in PA starts before gun. I think I went bow hunting that fall with nobody and then I went gun hunting. I know the first time I went gun hunting was at my brother-in-law's camp in Lycoming County. And I think this bow hunting was, you know, the month before that gun hunt. So, so how many years did it take you, PJ, before you tagged your first archery deer? Archery deer. I believe it was, I didn't shoot anything i shot my first one with a gun that was i'm gonna say it was three years before i shot one with my bow it was uh it was a button buck i'll never forget it was super dark and i i had one of those lighted pins back in the old days and you know if you if you think about what it was now it's the absolute worst lighted pin you could have the pin actually had was battery powered, so it shined a light back at you. So I'm aiming. You're completely this, blinded. You completely blinded it. by it. You know, it's dark, and I turn this light on, this pin on, and all I see is this bright red light. It's somehow, by a miracle, I killed the deer. But yeah, I remember turning that pin on and thinking, "Oh man, I can't see anything." <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it. So it's amazing, right? Because three years. And obviously you had, I mean, yeah, you had personal interest. You had some, some family that was sort of involved, but I mean, for the average person, if you think about it, you hand somebody a bow or a crossbow or whatever, and be like, Hey, good luck, stick with it for three years. And maybe you'll finally kill something. I mean, how many people are going to stick with it that long, Mark? I mean, so tell us about your story. You said you were what, 19 and you got into it with your uncle, Mark. And same thing with you. You hadn't gun hunted, no hunting at all. And you started right away with the archery. Yeah, my dad had hunted as a a young person, but then he quit. And uh, so all of a sudden, when I became 18 or 19, I decided that I wanted to learn to hunt. Well, I had an uncle who hunted, but uh, uh, I did gun hunt for a year or two. But uh, as far as archery hunting, I was given a a bare bow, sort of turned loose, very much like you, PJ, given a bare bow um, with the old style pins and um, went and plopped down in the woods and didn't necessarily knew what I was doing. Uh, and the reason I tell you that is because I'll never forget how I got my first deer. Uh, my uncle and two other people, we got together and made a deer drive. You don't typically do that when you're bow and arrow hunting. But we had a spot where there was a river and a canal. So it was a narrow strip of land and it narrowed down. And we did this. And um, I had success. And back then in Pennsylvania, you could only get um, one deer a year, I believe, at the time. It was either a buck or a doe. And yeah. made a drive. And I had a doe come by. And literally, it was a 15-yard shot. I actually didn't even have a tree stand. I climbed up a tree that grew uh, at an arc or an angle and stood up there. So I was maybe 15 feet off the ground. Wasn't that high, but this doe came by, I took it. The next year three was a six pointer. I'll never forget that the deer ran and it ran out into the river. And I thought, wow, this is uh, turning out interesting. Ended up that ended up on a really small Island, maybe a quarter of an acre and it was laying there dead. Um, but it was an interesting way to get started. And uh, I kept that bare bow. So did, wait, wait, wait. so did you get wet? Do you have to get yeah. wet? Yeah, we had to go out in the river and retrieve the deer. And um, but, but 
But the thing was, it was so exciting to me as being 18 or 19 years old, whatever I was, I was hooked. And yeah. I kept that bare bow until literally I pulled it back one day and it bent in half and it just all the fiberglass and everything just cracked. <laughs> and then I went and got a Martin. <laughs> well, you got your money's worth out of that bare bow, I would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and everything was so basic back then in the late 80s or the early 90s, whenever that would have been, that it was just that I, the, the quiver was part metal and the pins were just basically pins and you would uh, tighten them up using nail polish or whatever you could do. And everybody has similar <laughs> stories. But Christian, how did you get started? I mean, what was your well, progression? I, I just want to I just want to follow up with you for a second. So that was your first year, right? The first. Yes. And was it the first time ever or did you go out a few times? Uh, I had tried to go out archery hunting a few times before that and not had much luck. That was my first deer ever with the bow was that doe. But I but I was absolutely hooked then because the, the challenge was so great. Plus the excitement of that experience. Well, that's awesome, man. And I think that. There's some similarities between our stories in this. You had that initial success, and that was a pretty thrilling encounter. It's a moment, obviously, that you'll never forget. The deer swimming over to the island and making you go swim over there to get it or whatever. I mean, that adds some really interesting. But it was that it was that hook of success with which PJ didn't have. And so I have to give him credit because he stuck with it for several seasons. Now for me, it was a little bit of both. I actually started, interestingly enough, I had grown up in Rhode Island. I grew up in a very suburban area. Hunting's not a big deal in Southern New England, but had gone to college down here in Pennsylvania. And so I was just out of college about a year and a half. I had some buddies. I was living in Bucks County at the time. I had some buddies who were big into hunting. They were always talking about the excitement of deer hunting. And I decided I was going to give that a try, not initially with archery, but with uh, during the what would be in the shotgun season there in the special regs counties, PJ. No, no centerfire rifles allowed there. So um, I had to shoot with 12 gauge slugs. I didn't even want to buy a gun just to try it out. I actually borrowed an old Winchester Model 12 pump gun from who a guy who was then my landlord. I was renting a little cottage uh, in the Sellersville Percocy area. Uh, for, and, and, and then I was working as a reporter at the Intelligencer out of Doylestown at that time. I didn't have anywhere to hunt. But one of the township supervisors in Bedminster Township lived on a farm. And so I called him. His name was Eric. I called him up and I said, Eric, I'm thinking about trying deer hunting this year. I've never done it. Would it be OK if I hunted on your farm? Because I've seen some deer out in the fields at your place. He said, yeah, that's all right. You could do that. So, um, yeah, I, I marched out there all by myself on opening day uh with an orange coat that my father-in-law uh loaned to me and I sat down uh with my 12 gauge and 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 the sun came up and his farm actually backs right up to Nakamixon State Park and it was funny because again you talk about not having any idea what you're doing I was hunting completely backwards because you know typically bed to feed feed to bed pattern right deer are going to come to the farm in the evening and back into the forest and then bed for the day. So all those deer were over there in the park, basically. And I was sitting on the edge of a cut cornfield on the farm. And as the sun came up, I started to realize like, oh, there's a guy in orange and there's a guy and there's a guy. And it was like the orange army over there on the public land. And you start to hear some shots and stuff. And of course, I'm not seeing any deer around me. And, you know, I don't know how long goes by, not long, maybe an hour, hour and a half. I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why my buddies think this is so exciting. And I was like, any poor deer that's over there in the park that wants to come out here is going to have to run the gauntlet of all those other hunters. I'll never see anything. So I stood up. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting out of here. And um, I'm like, well, I'll just take a walk around the perimeter of the farm. So so I walked down along the border there with the state park and walked sort of the whole 
north end of the property. And then I came around uh, on the west side and, and I was coming around there on the south end, this last little strip of trees in between two farm fields there. And I get just about to the end of it, maybe 20 or 30 yards left. And I look over and there's a buck standing there. And, and this buck, you know how sometimes when you see deer, like you stare at each other and you're not sure which one of you guys is more surprised, right? And I'm thinking, I can't believe that deer is there. And that deer is looking at me and being like, I can't believe that hunter is there. And uh, I raise the, the shotgun up to my shoulder and I line it up and I try to squeeze the trigger and nothing happens. And I'm like, what in the world? And I'm like, dude, you got to take the safety off. So I like literally like take the gun down off my shoulder and like flip off the safety. And the whole time this buck is just standing there looking at me. I bring it back up to my shoulder again and I squeeze the trigger. The gun goes off and the deer just hits the ground dead as a doornail and i start to just shake like the adrenaline hits me right and I'm, like, <laughs> oh, and I'm like wow this is pretty cool this deer hunting you know and so i walk <laughs> over to the deer i look down at this thing and i'm like um he now what he ain't bleeding no i couldn't figure out where i hit him i'm looking and there's no holes in him there's no blood there's no nothing and here I like look at his head. I shot the thing through the skull. <laughs> I was aiming for the chest and I missed by about two, two and a half feet and put a 12 gauge slug right through its skull. I want to talk about luck, right? Uh, that's how nervous I was. But to your point, Mark, I was hooked, right? I was hooked. Here was a guy who I think it was 1997. Opening day of the Pennsylvania firearm season, 1997, a guy who had never hunted before in his entire life, who went and took the hunter safety course with a bunch of 12-year-olds and their dads, and had a borrowed gun and a permission place to hunt, went out and by no rights of skill, privilege, deservedness, any <laughs> any category that could, you could possibly come up with. I did not have any right to shoot a deer that morning, and yet I did. And it literally changed the course of my life to the point that I'm now sitting here with you guys. Um, so it's kind of a cool story. And, and I, you know, and, and so tough with no mentor. Now, on the archery side, I was fortunate, PJ, and this is where we can transition in towards Mark's interview and what you guys do at Lancaster because after like two seasons of doing the shotgun thing there in Bucks County, I was ready for more. And I decided I wanted to try bow hunting. And that's where I probably made one of the best decisions of my life in walking into archery at the Glen in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a good pro shop, quality family uh, that runs that and really has good archery knowledge and had, you know, the good fortune of getting set up. I bought a used PSE Mach, I think it was a Mach 8 or a Mach 9. And there was a guy, I'm a lefty, there was a guy, Terry Ernie, who used to be one of the bow techs there who was a lefty, and he had one of his old bows on the used rack, and I bought that, but I got fitted properly. The guys in the shop taught me a little bit about how to shoot a bow and actually hit where you're aiming and make sure your draw length is right and your sight is set up the right way and your rest is calibrated properly. So, I mean, yeah, without that, how would I have ever figured it out? Yeah, it's uh that's a whole different learning curve there with the archery stuff. I, I remember with my first bow, so I didn't know about sight picture. And so I don't I it, I hadn't found Lancaster archery yet. I did find them quickly, but I hadn't found them when I began. I don't even remember where I got my first bow. I probably uh Kmart. We didn't have Walmart. Probably at Kmart, I got my first bow. And so I had the peep sight set up and it was set so high 
that at 20 yards, I couldn't actually aim, use, I couldn't get a pin high enough that I could aim at the target. And I'll never forget when I started shooting at this club, I would take two regular targets, put them one on top of the other, and I would aim at the center. I set my sight, so I aimed at the bot at the bottom target to hit the center of the top one. Oh, that was a good system. It worked. I mean, I could hit it, but obviously that was not ideal. And then finally somebody saw me putting up the two targets. was like, what are you doing? And then they're like, dude, your peep sight is way too high. <laughs> but if you don't have that, how do you know? You know, Kmart, they didn't have a pro shop of any stripe back then. You went in and bought a bow. That was it. Yeah. Um, well, and so, you know, thankfully there are, you know, pro shops around the country. And certainly you guys at Lancaster, you've got the Lancaster Archery Academy there. You can do literally, you know, from very basic introductory. Matter of fact, you guys still do the Groupon in like introduction yeah. to archery. Yeah, yeah. So you, you can do the old Groupon, like, you know, archery experience for somebody who's literally never shot a bow before all the way up to again, literally like Olympic level stuff, because you know, you are yeah. coaching, coaching Olympians in there. So <laughs> it runs the full gamut. Well, we occasionally have done special bow hunting classes too, that are geared toward people who have never bow hunted before, you know, the real, real basics of bow hunting. We've done those periodically. Um, because then again, you know, like you with your first deer there, okay, you get one. Now what? I mean, obviously now you can YouTube how to field dress a deer, but you know, if you don't have service or whatever, and even if you do have that, that's pretty daunting to come up there. I just killed this 200 pound deer. Now you want me to gut this thing, cut I, it open. I actually have a pretty funny little anecdote on that. So, so yeah, so I was standing over that deer and it was like, it was like a little fork horn. And I think I blew, I couldn't find the one antler. I think I blew it off its head with the slug. So it had one like antler that was about four inches long. And, uh, but anyway, I'm standing there and I, exactly. That's like, well, now what? Well, my father-in-law who was thrilled because I wasn't a hunter, right? When I married his daughter, he was a, he, he's a PA rifle hunter, you know, sort of a, a traditional. So he was really, he's like, man, my son-in-law is going to get into hunting. So he loaned me like that old orange coat that he had. And he bought me a buck 110 knife, the classic buck 110. And he gave me a deer drag. And the deer drag was still brand new in the package. It was in my backpack. And so it was one of those where it's the piece of cardboard and then the clear the clear plastic that's glued onto that. And then the strap for dragging the deer was in there. So on the back of that cardboard of the deer dragger was a step-by-step -step instruction yes. on how to field dress a deer, like five steps. Yeah. And I literally knelt down and laid that piece of cardboard on the ground and I used that buck 110 knife that had never been used before and I gutted my first deer using the little diagram on the back of the deer drag package that was our YouTube back then that's what you had I, I know I had some little book with me but yeah that's that's what you had to do you know I figured it out I guess I mean I <laughs> I got stuff out of there and I got it back to my truck and uh, you know, brought it home. <laughs> I I remember the first one that I did, I didn't realize that there was stuff in front of the chest cavity that the, uh, you know, the membrane was there. I took everything up to the membrane, you know, so I obviously all I was getting was the guts and I got to the butcher shop and the butcher was like, Hey, you didn't take any of the lungs or the heart out. And I said, what are you talking about? He showed me, he's like up here. <laughs> I, it never even never even occurred to me when I gutted the deer, like to look for the parts. Yeah, where are the lungs? Where is the heart? I don't know. Well, <laughs> so you know though, and again, this is where we got to steer it back to Mark, right? I have I always did my own deer butchering, but about 
oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight years ago, a Mennonite built a butcher shop that right down the road from me, literally a, a, a mile down the road. And Philip Burkholder is like a gift from God. He does such a great job at such a reasonable price. I can't justify the aggravation anymore. Yeah. But, but Philip has people every year, when you talk about not knowing what you're doing and not having a mentor, some people bring the deer in without gutting them at all. I believe it. And of course, you know, he'll charge an extra 15 bucks or whatever to do that. But like, that's what having a mentor is all about. Right, Mark? I mean, how is somebody going to know what to do? And it, it, it is so vital, whether you're starting out, obviously, as a child, or if you're stepping in the woods for the first time as an adult. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes this this Field to Park program and some of these other programs that wildlife agencies are doing so crucial. They're trying to reach new audiences, more diverse audiences. And they give you this program where you learn everything you need to do, at least to get you through those first couple experiences. And uh, you know, we'll talk about that in the, in the, in the next segment, but, uh, it covers the field dressing and it even covers, you know, options for butchering and how you handle all of that. And they, they even serve up some dishes where people get to sample venison and things like that, because for a lot of the people that are going through a, a program as a first time hunter, it's all new to them. It's brand new. Um, and, and it's so important because bow hunting has such a steep learning curve especially at the beginning that you need somebody to help you out if that's the route you're going to go whether you're going to be hunting with a, a compound or a crossbow yeah and i think you know that's something that of course pretty much everybody who listens to this podcast is probably a bow hunter you know i mean and not just a brand new one or not somebody who's necessarily looking to come and get into the sport but is a fairly experienced or somewhat experienced bow hunter. And mentoring is one of the greatest needs that we have in our community. I mean, yeah, a program like Field to Fork doing things with people, you know, in Philadelphia, literally, you know, deer hunting with jet airplanes, you know, coming in and out of Philadelphia International is, is really neat. But there's a need for people all over, you know, from the cities and suburbs to the rural areas where, you know, hey, PJ, you ever hear of a smartphone? Like these things are, these things are taking over the world. And like, there's a desperate need for people to get connected with the outdoor world. And, and we can all give back to our sport if we're willing to share our knowledge with others. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I'm glad I'm not just getting started now because I, I would say I am pretty much of an introvert. And so having, I, I, I know I would do everything on YouTube, but since we didn't have that, I had to ask for help because I knew, okay, I get this deer down. I have absolutely no clue what to do. I had cleaned fish before, but that's about it. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. You know, and even as far as where do you, what do you do with it? I, you know, I don't know, or I didn't know then. And so it was, yeah, it's, uh, as you mentioned, especially with bow hunting, that is a steep learning curve. Just getting the, you know, I think people see other archers shooting. And I know when we have new people come in, I think they have an expectation that they're going to be able to shoot better than they will when they start. Um, and so just, you know, having folks have that opportunity to learn, Hey, yeah, it's okay to be spraying them all over the place. When you start, you probably don't want to go out hunting while you're like that, you know, work on those skills, get that. Oh. I know for me, that was, I shot, uh, leagues and stuff and, I did a bunch of shooting um, just to be able to get that down before I got out there. Because I archery, I will say, that's when I started bow hunting. I had a bow my whole life. I always had uh, recurve bows and stuff um, my whole life. So I had been shooting archery for a long time. Well, you, you want to talk about, yeah, being proficient and all that. I mean, I think everybody kind of goes through that journey as a bow hunter, like, there's thinking you're good in the backyard and then there's thinking you're good in the field. Right. And I can remember, you know, many misses 
and some bad hits, you know, or on in career. And, and you kind of come to that place where it's like, man, I either got to get better at this or I got to stop doing it because it's like, it's scary out there, man. Like you got to get yourself. Well, it's funny how the little, you know, flashes of intelligence come in, but I remember my first time, uh, you know, before I had killed a, a deer with a bow, I was passing up these, you know, four corns and six points and stuff. Nah, that's that guy. I want one of the big ones. And then I remember the thought occurring to me, you know, I've never actually shot one before with a bow. Maybe I ought to try that first. <laughs> take the gimme, take the layup <laughs> and then get picky after that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, Mark, why don't we sort of kick it over to your segment with this final thought, which I'll let you comment on. But it seems to me that, you know, obviously the mentorship is so important just to get people involved at all. But the other interesting thing, obviously, because of the name of the program, you know, it ends with fork, which we're obviously talking about food. And that's a great way to reach out to a totally different demographic than maybe a traditional you know, what we would, or the world would, would refer to as a trophy hunter, right? This is not about trophy hunting. This is about putting food in the freezer and on the table. And there is a whole host of people out there in the world. And many of them just happen to be in those urban suburban areas may live in a place that's not as traditional from a hunting standpoint and may also have political views that aren't as traditional from a hunting standpoint and it's an awesome opportunity to actually build bridges and connections and to expand our demographic and our understanding and communication between you know hunters and non-hunters and sort of like just just uh, educate both sides at the same time yeah, absolutely. It's it's an incredible um, bonding experience and learning experience for everybody involved. And uh, a couple of things came to my mind as you were saying that is, you know, that 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 field to fork to fork component is so huge. Not only do they get to try the venison, one of the big thrusts of the program is this is special gear for people who want to learn to hunt for their own food. They don't necessarily care about whether they get antlers or they, they want to have that experience and they maybe didn't have the means to get to where they wanted to go. And that's a great program. But uh, I think the other thing that's so important about mentorships and, and mentoring programs is we all need to do our part for the future of hunting, for the future of sport, to share the things that we love and are so passionate about, to keep the next generation involved. And, and really, that's what all of this is involved. And hopefully, some of the people that take part in something in the field of fork will continue hunting, maybe pass it on to some of their family members or friends. But for all of us who are diehard bow hunters, we didn't need to do our part as well, because it's so important uh, for the sport of hunting 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Absolutely. And... Um... So when you do that and you've got people that need stuff, don't forget about Lancaster Archery because you guys are also supporting, you know, maybe not the Field to Fork program, but lots of programs to encourage people to try archery and develop an archery and and just providing, you know, a great resource for those folks who do have questions. To your point, you know, we didn't have the Internet back in the day and you said you really didn't know about Lancaster Archery, but had you you would have been able to call and be like, hey, how come I have to set up two targets on top of each other (laughs) and I have to aim at the bottom one to hit the top one? Absolutely. Yeah, it was, I'm going to say it was only about a year before I found, because actually Rob had a second store that was closer to me. I lived in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and he had a second store at that time that was closer to me. And so, yeah, I found it pretty quickly. And, you know, once I went in there, it was, that was almost 40 years ago. And I can tell you, it is no different. I went in there, the folks were helpful, helped me find the right stuff. What did I need? You know, what did I have that I didn't need? That kind of stuff. Same treatment. If you come in there today, the shop is much bigger, but the treatment's going to be the same. You know, those guys and ladies over at our pro shop, they're just as excited to see you getting into it as, you know, they remember what it was like for them. So, yeah, the treatment's not different. It's 40 years, but the treatment's the same. 
Well, that's awesome. Uh, PJ, I appreciate you taking some time to be with us today. Hope everybody enjoys, Mark, your interview uh, with this uh, field to fork coordinator. And I know I am looking forward to hearing it because uh, as I sort of teased at the beginning, I want to hear about this 70-year-old or 70-some-year-old woman who killed her first year last fall with a crossbow. Uh, I mean, what a great story that's got to be. Absolutely incredible from beginning to end. All right, well, here we go. Thanks, guys. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery. Uh, it's early spring now, and uh, I live here in Pennsylvania. Exciting things are starting to green up, and I have a fellow Pennsylvania resident who is joining us on the podcast today. Elizabeth Clegg, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Now, uh, I was pretty excited when when I heard about you. Um, you are part of the uh, National Deer Association, and you are their field to fork um, hunter coordinator for the NDA. Um, and you'll probably correct me as I go along. I think that's probably a partnership between the Pennsylvania Game Commission. But uh, field to fork is a, a really unique program, and it's focused on bringing new adult hunters into the fold. These are people who have never hunted uh, growing up and uh, they're interested in hunting for food. Uh, but but let's start there. Why don't you tell me a, a little bit about the, the genesis of this program, Field to Fork, and why it's so important right now? Uh, so the program started in 2016 in Georgia. Um, and it started, you know, they started handing out venison samples at a farmer's market and asking people if they'd like to learn to hunt. And it just grew from there. I think we have had field of force in 17 states now, uh, roughly 150 events or so. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm in charge of the Pennsylvania events only. So I'm the Pennsylvania field of force coordinator. Yeah. Now um, we always talk in the podcast about how people got started in hunting or bow hunting, but you have probably one of the more unique stories of anybody I've heard of. Um, not only did you not only start hunting until you were an adult, you were also a vegetarian, if I'm correct. I was. So I grew up in a normal meat eating household. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I loved eating meat so much that my dad used to call me the meat eater. So before Steven Ranella was the meat eater, I guess it was me. Um, and then uh, around in high school, I got this idea in my head that if I love animals, I shouldn't eat them. And you have to admit, it does kind of make sense. Um, and that's what I did for several years. And um, eventually I ended up at a survival school taking classes. Uh, I started out as a student, then I was a volunteer, then I was an intern. Then I was a caretaker of a property. I actually lived in a, a primitive shelter for 13 mm -hmm. months, you know, no electricity or anything. And uh, I started teaching there. And one of my lectures that I covered was brain tanning deer hides. And part, you know, an extension of that lecture was doing field dressing demos. And I was picking up a lot of roadkill deer. And one of my friends said, you know, this deer wasn't really harmed intentionally. It was an accident. You know, what is the harm in trying some? So he picked some up, I tried it, and that was the end of me being vegetarian. So I wasn't, I wasn't in it in a religious way. You know, I wasn't going to be dogmatic about it. It was just, you know, it, it worked for me for a time and then it was time for something else. Now, did you always hunt or is that something that came after you started to eat venison? So after my roadkill phase, um, I started, you know, being at survival school, you're learning about hunting skills. You're learning about making bows and arrows. You're learning about tracking. And, you know, I was doing the field dressing. So I had all the peripheral skills, you know, camouflage. I had all that down, but I hadn't put it together into an actual hunt. And I also didn't have gear. So although I had learned to make bows and arrows, I had, you know, given them away or added them to the woodpile and whatnot, but I didn't have any, you know, modern bows, firearms. I didn't have any of that gear. So I had this feeling, you know, kind of hanging out in the background of my head. I want to learn to hunt. I want to, I want to do this thing, but 
I didn't know where to go. You know, I didn't have anyone to go with. And eventually, uh, a friend that I met through a meetup group, he invited a small group of us up to his hunting cabin. And he did what actually is sort of like a miniature field fork. He put different weapons in our hands. He said, you know, try this compound bow, shoot the target, try this crossbow, try this shotgun. And I had never handled any of these things. And coming from a primitive skills background, we were almost discouraged from touching these things. You know, like they weren't pure enough, but I had a blast. I had so much fun. And it just, I felt like I was seeing the woods for the first time after that weekend. It was like, this is a different place now. And he did take us out for some small game hunting. And, you know, we tried eventually turkey and deer and, and all these things. But yeah, that, that was such a game changing weekend. I, ha- I have to ask you, hopefully I'll put you on the spot here. Have you ever had a moment where you said to yourself, through this whole process, what am I doing here? I mean, you've gone through a, an evolution from from eating meat to not eating meat to learning primitive survival skills where you can basically love off the land to then picking up and becoming a full-fledged hunter. In this whole transformation, have you ever said to yourself, what am I doing here? No, actually, at each phase of this, as different as these phases were from each other, I've always felt like I was in the right place. And especially now, you know, joining the NDA, I really feel like I'm in the right place. Yeah. And and to hear about this program, it's so exciting. I, I first heard about this, uh, I believe it was last fall or last winter. Um, you did a program at the John Hines Wildlife Refuge, which is down by Philadelphia. Now, I'm sure you do more and we'll talk about those. But I was fascinated because uh, that's in a pretty urban environment. It's right next to I-95. And you took a, a bunch of people who had never hunted before and introduced them to the sport. So uh, tell me about that. How did you even start to pull something like that off? Well, there are a lot of um, partnerships involved. So we're working with, the NDA is working with the Pennsylvania Game Commission, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, which owns the the National Wildlife Refuge, John Hines. Um, We even extended the John Hines hunt um, into Benjamin Rush State Park, which is in the the other side of Philly. Mm -hmm. And we ended up putting roughly 50 hunters through the program this fall and winter. And we gave them an orientation, which included, uh, you know, lectures on deer biology, uh, anatomy, shot placement, you know, when to take the shot, when not to take the shot, learning to read blood on arrows, uh, blood trailing, how to set up a blind, the legal side of things, you know, regulations. And then we got them all out on the archery range. We had crossbows for them. So when someone comes in the door for a field of fork, the whole process from the beginning to the end is just given to them. They do not have to provide anything. They don't have to pay for it. They just show up with whatever they're wearing. You know, of course, for the hunts, we want to make sure they have you know appropriate clothing, but they don't need, you know, expensive commercial camo. They can just wear dark colors, you know, some waterproof boots, and they're good to go. And that's such an important point. I mean, we're all talking about sport here that we love hunting and bow hunting, but uh, there is sort of a barrier to entry, and that's an expensive sport once you get rolling in it. What what I love that you just touched on is every single thing that they need to take part in this experience is provided to them, whether it's through the partners or through some sponsors or whatever. And I think that's so important uh, to get them started. And you talked about, you know, um, you start with crossbows. Crossbows are, are, are today's weapons are uh, incredibly efficient, uh, easy to learn to use. Crossbows are safer than ever. So that you're able to probably do that in a matter of a, is this something you do over a couple of days? You're able to get them up to speed in just a couple of days? Um, in, for the John Hines program, the way we've set it up is that they have a one day orientation and it takes pretty much all day, you know, the daylight hours, they go through stations, you know, we break them up into four or five groups and we have them rotate through the stations and then they show up, um, at their scheduled hunt, which could be a couple weeks later or a couple months later, depending on, you know, how they, they came into the lottery, but yeah. From beginning to end, it's all pretty seamless. 
Now, do you know, did anybody have any success in that hunt? Were there a couple of people who were fortunate to take a deer? Oh, yes. Uh, so of our 50 or so hunters, uh, between John Heinz and Benjamin Rush, we took, or they took 20 deer. That's incredible for, for a first year program and, and, and working through everything. And so I'm assuming this is, is something you're going to do again this coming year. Definitely. We just finalized the schedule for the fall. We're signing up mentors. Um, if anyone's interested in joining, they can send an email to me. That would be Elizabeth at DeerAssociation.com. And uh, I can tell you the dates um, if you would like later. No, no please go ahead. I, I, I want to yeah. share as much as we can about this program because right. it's fascinating. All right. So let's see. We have October 19th to 21st at John Hines. We have October 27th and 28th at Benjamin Rush. We have November 17th through 19th at John Hines. We have January 4th through 6th at John Hines and January 18th through 20th at John Hines. And there's the possibility that if we have enough mentors, we'll add an additional hunt at Benjamin Rush because that park in particular is very densely populated with deer. Yeah. And and I want to I want to say you you're talking about a key component for this program. You couldn't do it without the mentors. Pen, Pennsylvania has a rich hunting heritage and tradition, and uh, I know one of the the people that takes part in this program. I think Bob Schwann was part of that last year, and uh, he's he's now a game commissioner, and so um, he's really big in 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 the three R's: recruiting, mm -hmm. retaining, and reactivating, because that's the future of the of everything. And but but you need the mentors to help you put this on. It's, it's all volunteer run, uh, except for a couple of positions. And you need somebody who has that passion, is willing to transform that uh, and share that with others so they can uh, enjoy the experience as well. And so um, they're so crucial to the program. But Bob was telling me uh, how much he loved the experience and the great time that the person he mentored had, but you wouldn't be able to do it without those mentors. So if you're listening to this and you're in Eastern Pennsylvania, please check this program out. Go to the uh, National Deer Association's website site um, and check it out because it's a phenomenal program. Thank you. Yeah, one of our staff sent out an email yesterday with a quote in it, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it said something along the lines of volunteers are not people who have the time, they're people who have the heart, and is absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so important. And um, like I said, just a few minutes ago, you can't do it without them. But uh, obviously, you're looking to expand and grow this program. But I'm assuming, uh, and, and we are bow hunting focused here, but I'm assuming that you um, do other programs. Are you going to be doing other um, field fork programs across Pennsylvania? Yes. Um, all of the Pennsylvania hunts that I've been involved in have been crossbow centered. We have done ones in other states where they use firearms, but so far, especially in Philadelphia. Yeah. You know, it has to be archery, but uh, it works well, you know, at no matter which location we are. So we had uh, a hunt out at, I'm not really sure if you're familiar with the hunting show, the Bearded Buck. They're out in Mahaffey, PA. Um, they host a wonderful event out there annually. We just scheduled them too. And uh, they are such great hosts. We love going out there. And then uh, we had another one on another private property up toward Erie. That oh. one I was able to attend but yes we do um, these partnerships with the state and federal agencies but we also partner with private landowners who are willing to open up their property and host these events and they are quite special now i have to ask you we, we, we were talking about these different programs that you do and obviously you're you're in all the different parts of pennsylvania because we're talking about the northwest the southeast the the western parts it, it is called field of fork do you do you do you envision at some point you're incorporating some kind of cooking element into it or a culinary element? In it? Because you're giving them everything that they need to start hunting, to harvest a deer, to field dress a deer. Will you do something in the end where maybe they get a chance to prepare it or they get a cooking lesson or something? Yeah. So actually at each meal, we are serving venison. So they're getting a taste of it. They're getting recipes. And then we have had demos where we are butchering and grilling at the same time and people are sampling the meat. And then we just had this past weekend our um, potluck where everyone who attended the hunts through the fall and winter, they show up, they bring a dish. Um, if they got a deer, they're welcome to share it, you know, to, to create a recipe out of it and bring it. 
or they can bring a side dish or whatever. But we've had we had several venison dishes there, and maybe even some. We might might have even had some elk there too. You know, any wild game is welcome at these at these things. Now, as you're doing these programs in Pennsylvania, and maybe when you've talked to others across the country, when when you're offering these field to fork programs, and these again, these are hunters who have never hunted before. Have any have you heard success stories of people expressing interest that it's something they'd like to continue to keep doing going forward? Oh, absolutely. And there are mentees who want to become mentors, which gets me very excited. I'm well, talking yeah. to these guys a lot. And you know, some of them have gotten deer and some of them haven't, but they're still they're so enthused about it, they and they're ready to pass it on. We're gonna try to get them in on some early hunting opportunities to give them you know, a little bit more hands-on experience before they start mentoring, but they could be mentors for the events happening later in the season. And I think that's great. Yeah, and absolutely, that that's what this is all about. We're trying to recruit the next generations of hunters. We often think about to kids, but they're just situations, especially in urban areas like where John Hines is, where, where people may never have been exposed to hunting. And this is a great opportunity where they're looking for a, a healthy food source, or they just want to learn about something they'd heard about but never taken part in. So uh, kudos to all of you that are pulling this off. I think it's going to be an important part of the future as we're, as we're going forward with um, hunting and bow hunting. I mean, obviously, uh, when you're hunting with a crossbow, it gives you an opportunity to get into areas that might be deer rich where the deer populations are probably higher than should be. Sounds like that was the case down there in Benjamin Rush and uh, John Hines. But uh, uh, I have to ask you, what's the how long have you been the coordinator for for um, Pennsylvania for Field to Fork? I'm very new. I came on in late September, so they told me I was going to have to hit the ground running, and they were right. They were right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of events right right out of the gate. And and I thought it might be a case where you were here one or two years, and so that's why I wanted to ask you: How did Pennsylvania end up being the pilot for this? Because because obviously there have been some small volunteer based events that have taken place across the country. I think you said seventeen states, but you're looking to do something next level here. I think in Pennsylvania, and you're doing these programs across the the state. Um, how did Pennsylvania get to be the pilot for this? I believe it is because the Game Commission, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, was so willing to work with us. And you know, put their money where their mouth is, and um, they they were willing to support this position through. You know, I don't have all the details. That was you know yeah. before I was hired, but uh, they they're fully committed to having this position exist and working with us as an organization. And we would like to expand into more states using a, a similar model. Um, how exactly we'll do that it, it remains to be seen, but. Um, we're definitely looking at expansion. You know, I I I I think that uh, there there may be no better state to try this kind of program, and and I'll tell you why. You know, um, you you and I know this, but for for those who are listening, Pennsylvania probably has more bow hunters than any other state in the nation. I think depending on the year, and that's both bow and crossbow. I, mean, I want to make sure I say that. Um, I think anywhere from 330 to 340,000 archery licenses are sold. Now, even though I know that, I'm astounded to hear that number. That's a lot of archery licenses or stamps that are stolen every year. And I'm, I'm sure that's more than uh, a number of states have even have bow hunters. So it's incredible. There's a rich heritage here, but also a rich bow hunting heritage. And so um, I think that Pennsylvania is is obviously a leader when it comes to hunting in this country. And I'm, I uh, applaud them for looking at different opportunities to recruit new hunters because uh, the other part of this is obviously you know the licenses uh, hunters are, are 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 declining over time you have your your big baby boomer uh, um generation now is coming to the end so we have to look at ways to keep introducing people to sport and, and what you're doing is incredibly because you're taking a new tactic or a new approach definitely yeah you know the other thing I wanted to ask you is, what's the best story you've ever heard? Now, I know you've only been doing this. You only went through the one cycle of the hunts. But there, there must be something that jumps out to you that you want to share. Like, when you think back, what's the best aspect or the best story you heard from somebody who took part in it? Uh, the first story that comes to mind is a 71-year-old Gene who was scheduled for the first hunt, uh -huh. which was, I guess, October. Didn't get a deer. Came to the next hunt, didn't get a deer. Came to the next hunt, didn't get a deer. Because we offer standby spots. You know, if we have a 
an access of mentors and there's, you know, an extra blind, someone can show up and just wait and hope to get a spot. So she showed up every time. Finally, on the last hunt, she got her deer. She was so patient the whole season. You know, you'd ask her, you know, how's the hunt going? You know, you're not, you're not getting any deer. You're not even seeing any deer sometimes. And she would say, oh, this is the best time I've ever had. You know, what an opportunity to just be out here and I even saw a buck today. I'm just so happy that I even saw one. You know, I've never seen one before or whatever the case was, but she was just eternally optimistic. And it was just so fitting that she came the whole season and and finally did get her first deer ever on the last event of the season. And she uh, she tracked her deer down and I filmed the whole thing. I put it on Instagram. It was really sweet. Uh, seeing her pose with her deer at the end. Uh, what a great story. And she actually, she signed up with her adult daughter to come hunt. They were both first-time hunters. They were familiar with the refuge. I think they saw some signs up advertising that we were going to do these hunts. And they thought, you know, let's try something different. We've never done this before. And, you know, they were they were very familiar faces at the events. And I'm, I'm really happy that she got that deer at the end. Now, was, did, did I hear you correctly? You said she was 71. It was the first time she ever stepped in the woods to do any kind of hunting. Yep. That 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 is phenomenal. That is something I probably never expected to hear. And obviously, she ended up having a great experience. And, you know, you you, you talk about uh, the process where she persevered and stuck through it. And, and that's the reality of deer hunting. You're not going to go out. It's not, not like trout fishing in Pennsylvania. You're not going to go out and... Uh, usually get a deer in the first time that you go out in the woods during a season. It did, I mean, it sometimes works like that, but but you have to put the work in. But there's so many other benefits. There's the 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 outdoors. There's the mental health aspect. There's the, the being in the outdoors and observing nature. And there's a lot of components that go into hunting. But uh, having success on the first day is not always uh, the way it goes. The fact that she kept trying it and trying it, especially at her age, never hunting before, that's pretty incredible. And I'm guessing that made you feel pretty good. Oh, yeah. She was a trooper, you know, and we don't we didn't always have good weather either. And she you know, it didn't matter to her. She was just she was there. She was having a blast. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I wanted to ask you now that you have a year under your belt and you're going to year two. What's your vision for the programs in in Pennsylvania? Where, where are you hoping that we go from here? Uh, I don't know how long the programs were taking place in the other parts of the state, like up in Erie and stuff. But uh, what would you like to see this program move towards or become? We are adding additional locations. Um, you know, obviously there's like a maximum number we can hit, you know, given the, the length of the season, but we are adding programs on other properties and we want to see the existing community continue on. We just launched a Facebook group where everyone can keep in touch. We're going to, you know, keep them up to date on hunting opportunities outside of deer hunting. We're going to keep them, um, you know, up to date on educational materials. We'll be giving them our deer hunting 101 course that they can go through at their leisure. Uh, all kinds of, you know, just community engagement. I think, you know, in our DNA, hunting is a very social activity. And I think we do a lot better when we're sharing it with others. And we want to keep that deer camp feeling going. And it, if it has to be on Facebook sometimes, you know, so be it. And 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 that is a huge part of it, the camaraderie and the in the element, the community, I should say, is probably the best word there. Now, I'm just curious, what's the name of the Facebook page? Obviously, maybe the URL is too long, but what's the name of the Facebook page? Well, it's a it's a private group so that, you know, we don't have trolls coming in. But, you know, everyone okay. who's gone to the hunts will get an invite and we'll keep that that same group open to people who are uh, joining this upcoming season and they'll all be put in the same group. I'm glad we talked about that because I didn't know if it was a public facing one or if it was a private one. So thank you. Thank you for covering that. Now, now um, you've talked a little bit about your hunting experience. Do you, do you bow hunt yourself? Are you, are you a bow hunter or do you at least do some archery hunting now? I do. Um, and actually I kind of went, I, I progressed from rifle to crossbow to compound bow. And the next step was going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to finish and keep a primitive bow of my own. Um, but Something about maybe being at these John Hines hunts has has made me kind of fall in love with the crossbow again. So um, I'm mixing it up and I'm actually excited to do rifle season again. So 
I'm up for using anything, but yes, uh, at my core, I think archery is, is where my interest is, is most. No, and, and that's awesome. And and obviously, usually for archery season, especially in Pennsylvania here, it's a great time to be outdoors in October and early November. It's not too cold. And um, I wanted to ask you, you know, we, we talked about this program uh, and probably you should look at it a different way. It, it takes a lot of partners. We talked about the mentors, but there's obviously groups that are involved in putting this together. So do you have uh, partners outside of the NDA and the Game Commission are helping to make you possible? Is anybody maybe sponsoring some of the clothes and equipment that you want to mention? I don't know how you, you giving everybody everything. How do you get that all? How do you amass it all to make a turnkey program like this even possible? That That's another important thing here. You must be getting some help from somewhere. Well, one of the groups I'd like to mention is Friends of Heinz Refuge, which is a nonprofit that supports the activities of John Heinz. And what they contribute is they cover the cost of each hunter's first deer to be processed. So if a hunter doesn't want to or doesn't have the time to process their own deer, usually we drive the deer to the processor with the hunter. We have them fill out you know, what kind of meats and they want processed from their deer. And uh, this group covers the cost of that, which is really nice. So it really is from, from beginning to end, it's so seamless for the hunter. Um, and then as far as equipment goes, we have some new crossbows this year from a Pennsylvania brand called Psyched Hunt, S-Y-K-D. Um, you know, clothing and, and stuff like that is provided by the mentees themselves. They're just wearing their, their normal clothes. Um, some of the hunts we have had on, on the private land, we have had first light gear, uh -huh. uh, first light clothing um, provided, but uh, Typically, it you know the hunter is providing their own outfit. Yeah, no, but 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 I'm, that's really getting them off to a great start. And I did not know about the the processing part of it because that's that can be a barrier sometimes too. Because you you know you get a deer process is probably upwards of a hundred dollars or more now, and that's just for your basic cuts and things like that. So you're really giving them an incredible, immersive, well-rounded experience um, to make it as inviting as possible. And and, and I love that. Um, now, what was the age range of the people you mentioned? You had a seventy-one-year-old. Did you have some younger people there? Too? What was the age range of the participants? Let's say at the Heinz program. So. Um, the, the NDA Field of Ford program focuses on adults, but because we're partnered with these other organizations, they had opened some slots to a few youth hunters. And uh -huh. actually, I'm glad they did because those youth hunters were amazing. Um, I think the youngest may have been roughly 14, no, 12, 12, I think. I think one of the, the youth that I mentored was 12. And she was the only hunter to get a deer that particular week. So, yeah. No, and that, that's phenomenal. And, and and I think, yeah, if you're talking about like coming from an urban area, it doesn't matter how old you are. If you come from a non-hunting family or a non-hunting environment, you're from a non-hunting family. So you're giving them an opportunity earlier in life. And for example, for that example, you might help that person then become a lifelong hunter and he or she might then go and introduce others to the sport. So I, I like that. And I, I know what you're saying about the program being uh only adult focus, but if we can get some more young people involved, that's going to be important going forward. You know, I'm going to, I want to take a quick break here. I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. And I wanted to remind everybody that the um, bow hunting podcast is brought to you by Lancaster Archery. Um, for all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, we've got the passion. And, um, you know, Elizabeth, I really appreciate you taking time to to talk with us here today and um, share about the uh, Field to Fork program because it's such an important program, especially in today's day and age for so many reasons. And um, before we wrap up, I, I, I did want to ask you, um, you're ingrained in this program, but uh, what is your favorite part of this program, this field of fork program? What is it that drew you here to want to be involved in it? Um, well, I actually went, I was looking for a new job and I actually went on NDA's website to see if they had any job openings. And I wasn't expecting to see this. You know, I thought, you know, they would want someone to help lick stamps or something. And I, I would have been okay with that. I was like, I want to be involved with the NDA. But the job 
that they did have open, the one position that they did have open, I read what qualifications they were looking for. And it was basically a copy of my resume. And I thought, oh, my God, I have to apply for this. And, uh, you know, it was a long interview process. But uh, they said, you know, you were our first pick from the beginning. And I kind of had a feeling, but I wasn't sure. But it just really from the beginning seemed like it was meant for me. And I, I do really feel like I'm in the right place. Well, congratulations to you. Um, kudos to the uh, NDA for developing this tremendous program. Hopefully we're going to continue to see it grow while you're the first state coordinator. Hopefully in the future, you will, you will have a number of colleagues across the, the country, at least in the dear rich states, because it's an important program to recruit and retain hunters. And I want to thank you for taking some time and speaking with us today. Um, it's such a great program. I know you're really busy. I'm sure you've got a lot of planning, especially as you add more and more field to fork events. But Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us on the Bowhunting Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bowhunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.